African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, you are tuned into Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us right here, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. It's me once again, Benjamin Mushatama, hosting you for this hour on African Dialogue. Remember that our frequency is 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Online, you're streaming us live on www.channelafrica.org. Thank you for joining us in this hour. Well, today on the show, we'll be crossing live to the Continental Conference on land grabs and we'll be speaking to experts who are part of that uh, very pivotal conference it's the first one and uh, we'll be uh, trying to find out what is taking place there but uh, before we get into that let's find out what's happening in the news and Musa is standing by In the headlines, Zambia's Cabinet Secretary Roland Musika calls for calm following the death of President Michael Sutter. Lesotho's Cabinet to discuss a motion to remove the powers of the Prime Minister to unilaterally suspend or dissolve Parliament. And Britain's Disaster Emergency Committee launches an appeal to raise funds for the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Good morning. Zambia's Cabinet Secretary Roland Msika has called for calm following the death of President Michael Sata in London last night. Zambia's government confirmed Sata's death a short while ago. He has long been rumored to be seriously ill and had not been seen in public since returning from the United Nations General Assembly last month, where he failed to make a scheduled speech. Sata flew to London just over a week ago for treatment. The Parliament of Lesotho is expected to attract attention today when it discusses a motion to remove the powers of the Prime Minister to unilaterally suspend or dissolve Parliament. The motion is intended to amend a section of the Constitution that allowed Prime Minister Tom Tabane to suspend Parliament in June, leading to the political crisis in the country. And MP of Tabane's ABC party was suspended yesterday 
After he removed the royal mace, which represents the monarch in Parliament, to stop the tabling of the motion. Under the country's rules, Parliament cannot proceed without the royal mace. It has since been returned and the National Assembly order paper has now been issued, confirming that the motion will be tabled by the Parliament today. Trade unions in Burkina Faso have called a general strike today following a day of protest against long-serving President Blaise Kampere that saw hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. Demonstrators fought with police in Burkina Faso's capital, Ouagadougou, yesterday after a massive rally against plans to extend the rule of the veteran president. The opposition has also called for a blockade of parliament tomorrow when the legislature examines a proposed constitutional amendment that would allow to seek another term next year. Easing the situation in Lebanon is essential to its continued stability, United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says in a message to the International Support Group for Lebanon, which was delivered by the UN Special Coordinator for the country, Derek Plumby, in Berlin, Germany. Last month, the group expressed concern about the severe and growing challenges facing Lebanon as a result of the conflict in Syria. Ban spokesperson Stefan Dujaric says the UN chief understands anxieties in Lebanon about the scale of the Syrian refugee presence. He stressed the continuing importance of close cooperation between the government and the UN High Commissioner for Refugees in managing the refugee presence effectively and in accordance with international humanitarian standards and human rights. British disaster Emergency Committee has launched an appeal to raise funds for the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. The outbreak of the hemorrhagic fever that began in March has killed nearly 5,000 people. European states have stepped up their contribution of cash, mobile treatment centers and health workers after criticism from aid officials of a slow early response to an outbreak that has infected an estimated 10,000 people since the beginning of the year. Recapping the top stories, Zambia's Cabinet Secretary Roland Msika calls for calm following the death of President Michael Sata. Lesotho's Cabinet to discuss a motion to remove the powers of the Prime Minister to unilaterally suspend or dissolve Parliament. And Britain's Disasters Emergency Committee launches an appeal to raise funds for the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from 2 to 21 days, normally in 8 to 10 days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow.
this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. You're joining us live right here in our Auckland Park studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And today we're looking at so the Continental Conference on Land Grabs. Now, let's look at some statistics when it comes to this issue of land on the continent. Over the last three years, 70 million hectares of land, of Africa's arable land rather, has been either bought or leased to foreign companies. Now, that's something to think about. Often these large-scale transactions are carried out under the appearance of efforts against food insecurity and creating jobs for African citizens. Now, there's also another concern when it comes to land is that Africa holds 70% of the world's uncultivated arable land. And uh, most often of times, the citizens have little ownership over that arable land. Now, their first Africa conference on land grab is underway in Johannesburg, South Africa, and includes speakers, panelists, and uh, we'll also have uh, papers presented that will look at the challenges and advantages of the sale and lease of land to powerful corporates, individuals, and at sometimes foreign governments, which is uh, also an interesting element to this land issue. But uh, on the line right now, we have uh, Michael O'Brien Oyinga, who is the Executive Director of Green Peace Africa, to help us on this subject also. We're still trying to get hold of the other uh, participants of the conference, Dr. Blessing Karumbiza, who is a senior research associate at the Durban University of Technology. Also, we are hoping also to get on the line Elijah Egnu Mbavi, who is the director of Regional Development Africa Regional Development Solutions. But let me start with you, Michael. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa. Hmm. I think, Michael, are you there with us? I think uh, we are having problems with that particular line. But uh, that conference is underway currently and will be taking place uh, uh, for the next uh, few days during this week. And uh, it's looking at uh, various issues that have to to do with uh, this land issue. Land issue is something that's uh, actually facing a lot of uh, African uh, countries. And uh, we know in South Africa, the land debate is uh, very big right now. Politicians are actually debating about it on a constant basis in our parliament in South Africa. But when you look at these issues, it really has to do with uh, independence as a, as a continent. Also, not just independence, but an issue of uh, ownership on the continent. And uh, when you look at uh, countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo and Ethiopia, these are two states that are said to be uh, seen to have the largest amount of their land acquired since the year 2000. We know that uh, those two uh, countries uh, are very much uh, pivotal in terms of uh, their resources themselves. But I think right now we have uh, Michael O'Brien Oyinka who's now joining us on the line. Michael, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Happy to be on the show. Yes, it's great to have you. Very important subject that you are looking at, land grabs. What is significant about this conference, Michael? It is significant uh, and also worrying at the same time that this is the first continental uh, conference to address the issue of land grab, um, which should have happened a, a long time ago, because uh, I consider land grab as a clear and present 
danger to the continent of Africa for various reasons. Firstly, we still hold close to half of the world's arable land in this continent. And if we don't manage that resource uh, very carefully, other people will show us how to use it, and which is what is happening. We find in international multinational com- companies and the uh, countries like uh, from the Middle East, uh, East Asia, Southeast Asia, coming in and taking the best arable lands to produce food or biofuel, not for the African market, but for their own home market. In the meantime, we have millions of young people unemployed. We are looking at a doubled population in 27 years by 2040. Um, and if we are struggling right now with providing adequate employment for our teeming youth population, I don't know what we are going to do by 2040 when the population doubles and 65% of the population will be young folks. So uh, yeah. I consider this that we are dropping the ball as leaders in Africa, and we need to address the issue of yeah. uh, both in terms of land audits, in terms of uh, land tenure system, and to roll back and stop this crazy idea of land grab. Well, when you're talking about land grab, you're highlighting a lot of issues in terms of the context of what's happening on the continent. But what are we uh, seeing here in terms of land grabs? How do we define this uh, term, land grabs? Is it uh, an illegal form of taking land? Because sometimes we're seeing corporates actually getting this land legally, and uh, still uh, you could actually term it as land grabs. But what are land grabs, sir? Um, I mean, there are various legal definitions of, of what constitutes land grab. But I would say that uh, land grab is deliberate taking of land or rights to land from people enabled by power imbalances as a result of the unequal distribution of resources and skewed access to information and knowledge. So it is different from land acquisition. I mean, when you buy a house, you are taking land, you are leasing it from the state or from someone for 99 years and so on. That is not a land grab. This one is different. Let me give you a clear example. Um, In the last few years, we have recorded 20 million hectares of land sold off in the DRC to foreign uh, uh, entrepreneurs through only 10 deals, within 10 deals, they've parceled off 20 million hectares. That is almost more than the, the, the size of Lesotho or Swaziland. I mean, so, and these deals are shrouded in secrecy. The locals who live in and around the area don't know what is happening, and all you see is the security forces come and say, sorry, you have to move immediately. We've seen that in the London. Lolondo in Tanzania, we are seeing that in Ethiopia, we are seeing that in Uganda, and we are seeing that across Africa, including DRC. So it is a major, major challenge, and it's different from foreign direct investment that is required in this continent, for sure. Uh, But we don't want and we don't need cowboy investors who are conniving with corrupt leadership in the continent and parceling off choice lands uh, without consultation without transparency, those are the things that distinguish land grab from normal business uh, land acquisition for business purposes.
Well, you're highlighting a very important element that I wanted to also ask myself because there are those, as you've just highlighted, who say that this land grab issue is facilitated by corrupt African officials and leaders, some of them in government positions, but also those in the corporate world. How true is this? Are we seeing dynamics of our African leaders letting us down? I would say it is it is really shameful because, yes, because no matter what, I always tell people, uh, foreign investment happens everywhere in the world, even in China, in the U.S. There are Africans who are buying up companies and doing business in other parts of the world. Uh, but why are we not having land grabs? Can you imagine going to New York and deciding with the mayor of New York that you're going to take two-thirds of New York or half of New York, and the mayor doesn't even bother to consult the people of New York put it through a, a, a democratic process uh, for uh, free, prior, and informed consent, and let people decide whether they want to mortgage their future for a few million uh, euros or dollars. So that is what is happening. It's, it's true corruption, lack of transparency. And I, 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 refer, I say that it's a, a result of a non-responsive governance system we have. You know, we have the so-called democracy across the continent, but we are trying to democratize without Democrats, basically. Mm, so mm. we have the political elites who are in bed with corrupt and greedy corporates, and uh, between the two, uh, the average public across the continent uh, is left to, 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 to his creator uh, for his salvation, basically. Well, I'm having a dialogue right here with uh, Brian, Michael O'Brien Oyinka, who is the executive uh, director of Greenpeace Africa. Very, very concerning issues there that he's highlighting there. Actually disappointing to see that uh, an area that uh, we are supposed to be taking hold of as Africans is something that we are failing in. Well, I'll continue this conversation with uh, Michael O'Brien, looking at that uncultivated Arab land, arable land rather, and see how we could actually change the tide there because there's a lot of potential there especially when it comes to uh, involvement of ordinary citizens and how we can actually create maybe cooperatives in order to make sure that we create maybe um, a community-based land agricultural projects that will actually be actually focused on the people of the continent they're not just uh, foreign corporates themselves but what's your thought about the land issue on the continent hey how do you think that we can change this particular problem there's a lot of the foreigners that are coming into the uh, continent and not using it for our own um, ambitions, not only using it for what we require them to use it for. They're coming here also with their own ambitions themselves. How do we turn the tide of this land grab issue? Uh, send us your SMSs on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Today on African Dialogue, I have the pleasure of speaking to uh, Michael O'Brien Oyinka. He's the executive director of Greenpeace Africa. We'll continue this conversation with him and later on we'll be joined by Dr. Blessing Karambi who's the Senior Research Associate at the Durban University of Technology. He's part of this particular conference as well. Apparently, he's facilitating a meeting currently at the conference itself. But we'll continue with Michael Oyinka to actually see what's happening on the continent when it comes to the land issue. This is Channel Africa. 
South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Ebola beads. Hospitals with incomplete infection control may see nurses, doctors, and other caregivers infected. Transmission can occur in hospitals without enough gloves, face masks, goggles, and other infection control measures to provide safe care. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Hashtag Beat Ebola Now. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we are looking at uh, this uh, very important uh, moment for the continent. It's actually a bit too late to have this conference. It's the first one, the Continental Conference on Land Grabs. And as uh, our guest, Michael O'Brien Yinka saying, hey, we were supposed to have these conferences centuries back, years back, when we actually started seeing the independence of uh, Africa, uh, how we can deal with these issues such as land and uh, he was joining us uh, from this particular conference titled the Continental Conference on Land Grabs. And he's joining us as well with Elijah Agnew Mbavi, who is the Director of Regional Development Africa, Regional Development Solutions. And uh, he is also joining us from that particular conference. But Michael, you highlighted a very interesting fact earlier on, and it's actually puzzling. And you said that Africa holds 70% of the world's uncultivated lands. Why is this the case? Why aren't we using this land? Um, I, I, I mean, I think that's the question we should throw out there to the expert. Um, I don't know. It must have been a combination of reasons. You see, when people try to peddle new technologies, I always get wary. I consider myself as a passionate Pan-Africanist. And I say perhaps part of the reason is because we haven't been too greedy when it comes to food production. Um, our ancestors, uh, my great-grandfather, we used what was known as shifting cultivation. We planted, even if we had 20,000 acres of land, we don't plant on all of it. We plant on half and allow the other half to lie fallow so that you regenerate naturally. Uh, utilization of fertilizer, use of fertilizer in this continent is very, very low compared to global average because we've been producing organic food in this continent before organic food became fashionable. And it's because of this that we didn't want to perhaps utilize the entire land. But as the population grows, there is need to scale up on our agricultural output. But I must emphasize, because this is where the challenge comes, uh, the, the agro-industries like the Monsantos and Singetas are coming to Africa now and saying, um, we will show you how best to utilize your land uh, to grow more food. And what they do is chemical-intensive agriculture, massive uh, chemical input into the soil, which we have seen in the United States, in China. Over time, over a period of time, 
create catastrophic consequences. We we find young girls of 15 going into almost menopause in the United States because of the kind of GMO and the chemicals that are contaminated in the soil and the food they eat. And we don't want that in Africa. We want mm. to pro- promote ecological farming that scaled up ecological farming, and we desperately need these lands that are being parceled off uh, for those purposes. And what we need to do is empower and support our smallholder farmers who constitute 75% of uh, farmers in this continent. Mm. Uh, they are smallholder farmers with little or no support. They have continued to manage to feed this continent for centuries. Elijah, what are your views to what Michael is highlighting there? Uh, aren't we losing a lot of potential here? Aren't we actually losing our actually future in terms of not using this land? Yeah, I would like to emphasize uh, what he said, which is that uh, the, the majority of the farm in Africa are actually smallholder farmers. And if you look at the ancestral dimension where we had that kind of shifting cultivation and emphasis on uh, organic uh, foods, that were natural and that actually made their people live much, much longer and were much healthier and were less uh, vulnerable to diseases. We have now a new trend where we have uh, uh, multinational corporations rushing in to take uh, a chunk of uh, piece of the, the land that we have. As you say, that uh, Africa, we have over 60% actually of the remaining arable land in the whole world. And another point which I made in the, my presentation in this conference was that uh, Africa actually has the largest deposit of the fresh water resources. So these corporations are rushing in knowing that we have very good fertile soil that is not being polluted by chemicals and all that. But they are not only coming here to produce food uh, for, for, to make profits within the same continent, continent but they are outsourcing food production uh, from their own individual countries that have already had a problem with their land in terms of uh, the loss of organic matter. They are outsourcing food production to Africa to do the same thing they did uh, in their own individual countries. So this is a bit, bit of a dilemma for us because looking into the future, we are wondering where, where, what, what will our future generation in terms of our children, grandchildren, what kind of um, uh, situation will they have in terms of even ownership of the same land? Because we, we see a, a situation where uh, land that was traditionally under community, which now most of the government control, they call trust land and so on, is now being given to big corporations, to individuals, to powerfully connected people. And even more interesting to even some universities that have hedge funds. So we, we don't know what will be the kind of situation because we see a situation where the, the, the communities are disenchanted and uh, likely to be some hotspots, which we're already experiencing uh, around Africa in terms of uh, uh. people wanting to kind of uh, protest this kind of... Uh, uh, Mm. Well, Elijah, also another thing that we haven't seen being really entrenched in African communities is the establishment of cooperatives in local communities where you can actually have locals who are in charge of local-based land agricultural projects. Why are we lacking in this part? I mean, this is the best model for us to deal with issues such as um, employment and making sure that people are sustaining their own lives within their own communities. Mm. It is very true. Uh-huh. We are in the twenty. Okay. Yeah. Go. Go ahead, Elijah. I'll, I'll go back to Michael after you respond. Yeah, we are in the twenty-first century, and we may not really stick to our old uh, traditional ways. But at least as we modernize and we go forward, 
one of the recommendations which we keep giving is that if we really must help the smallholder farmers or the, the so-called communities, we just help them in terms of modernizing their farming systems, in terms of mechanization, because we know that we have more population than we had before. We have more mouths to feed, but if we continue cultivating land with the traditional handholds and all that, we may not produce sufficient food. I don't, I don't subscribe to the fact that uh, uh, increased production necessarily translates to uh, chemicals and all these big fertilizer inputs and so on. I still believe the whole world we know people are paying a premium for organic food. So we just need to mechanize African agriculture to reduce the drudgery that is involved in terms of cultivation and so on, and maybe open up more land uh, for cultivation, which we know that this will help. But in terms of just opening the land for foreign-based uh, farms that are coming in to cultivate huge chunks of land using chemicals to have mm. huge yields for, for, for purposes of making profit may not be the best model for us going forward. Mm. Your views, Michael, you wanted to say something to that question of creating those cooperatives in local communities where governments are actually funding local communities to push forward these uh, uh, local-based agricultural projects. How do we do that? Because I see a solution in that, especially when it comes to this uh, unused land. Well, I, 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 mean, uh, I, I mean, there could be several approaches. I don't think there is any of our magic bullets to mm. solve uh, this uh, issue. But uh, let's look at it. Let, let, let's the the emotion of uh, people who say green fish, people are the usual suspects, we are tree hoggers. It's not for ethical reasons. It's for classical, pragmatic reasons. If you consider that this continent spends $35 billion a year in importing food, $35 billion a year, Importing food, and then instead of utilizing the, the, the arable lands we have to meet that food shortage and food security, we are giving those lands to others to produce food for their own market and their own food security needs. It's yeah. misplaced priority. Imagine what could happen in this continent if African and Africans, if we have the the, the, the the required and necessary policy environment that supports smallholder farmers and African private sector to get into that market. Imagine what could happen if African entrepreneurs are getting even half of $35 billion through entering that market every year. That would, I mean, you create hundreds of thousands of middle class overnight. So our leaders have misplaced priorities. They are suffering from short-termism and what I call cognitive dissonance, because they know that the current model of spending so much of your, of your capital annually to import food when you have the, the, the viability to produce enough food and even feed the world, that is not sustainable, but they still pursue that. So the question should be thrown back to our leaders. Why? Why not? Why are we not utilizing this land? Why are we not creating things for smallholder farmers to access credit, to access technology through universities and think tanks, we see not, uh, uh, you know, everything being joined up instead of pursuing uh, silos, uh, 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 policies and strategies. We need an inclusive and integrated development strategy for the continent to be applied in each individual country. 
where you are looking at the food security, not just as a threat, but as a huge opportunity. Agriculture offers the best option in this continent, for example, for job employment. And when we say agriculture, we are not thinking of only uh, putting uh, cassava on the ground and harvesting it. No, there is the whole value chain. There is the processing. There is the science related to it. But when you look at our education, only 3% of students in African tertiary institutions, only 3% are studying agriculture or agricultural-related topics. So how do we make agriculture sexy so that our young folks are looking at it not just as the old story of farmers, uh, poor farmers, but actually as a major enterprise that gives you good return on investment? So it's a whole gamut of challenge that it requires the right political will and leadership to make it happen. Well, great points there. That is uh, the voice of uh, uh, Michael O'Brien Oyinka, the executive director of Greenpeace Africa, saying, hey, our leaders have a short-term a problem in terms of how they're looking at this land issue. And also he highlighted a very interesting point there when it comes to the education issue, where only 3% of African students are studying agriculture or agriculturally uh, agriculture-related subjects. Uh, very interesting points there that he's bringing across and also we heard also from Elijah Mbavi who is the director of the Regional Development Africa and Regional Development Solutions looking at uh, certain areas there on how we can actually support uh, a small holder farmers and making sure that there are policies that are conducive for them uh, in terms of supporting their work let us know your thoughts uh, uh, what do you think about the conversation we're having today plus two seven eight two three Three two five nine zero five. We're looking at the Continental Conference on Land Grabs. Um, all over the continent, leaders in the sector are coming right here in Johannesburg, speaking about this particular issue of land grabs. Actually, why this is important? It's because it's the first conference that has started taking place on this particular subject matter. Let us know your thoughts also by tweeting us at African Dialogue or at African or Channel Africa rather, Channel Africa One at Channel Africa One. That's where you can also tweet us your thoughts. We want to hear from you. Time right now is 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Let's take a little break and we'll be back to wrap up this conversation with our experts. This is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Ebola beats. Remember, Ebola is not a death sentence. Get treatment sooner. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag BeatEbolaNow.
You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to us via the shortwave service. And if you are listening to us uh, online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. Thank you for joining us online there as well. But today we're looking at the Continental Conference on Land Grabs. We've uh, had our guests really looking at some of the challenges there in terms terms of what is happening when it comes to this issue of land grabs and how the certain land I mean this 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 statistic of 70% of the world's uncultivated arable land really really concerns me indeed because if you're not using that land then why not what are the main reasons but we heard some of the issues there that are highlighted by both our experts there by Michael O'Brien Oyinka the executive director of Greenpeace Africa and Elijah Agnumbavi who's the Director of Regional Development Africa. But right now we're also being joined by Dr. Blessing Karumbidza, who's a Senior Research Associate at the Durban University of Technology. Welcome to the program, uh, Dr. Karumbidza. But I want to move on to the issue of the World Bank role in land grabs. It's been an issue that has been very contentious over the years and a lot of experts highlighting this issue of the World Bank's involvement in this. Dr. Karumbidza, could you elaborate on people's concerns here? Yes, thank you very much. Um, the people's concerns around uh, the land grabs are really genuine because what we have is uh, the World Bank, international funding agencies, hedge funders coming into Africa pursuing land that they discuss and describe as being not, not fully utilized and are uh, actually using two, a number of channels. One of them is the climate change discourse that says uh, we need land for red programs, the reduction in environmental degradation through deforestation, uh, clean development mechanisms. The other conversation and the other way they come is through uh, FDI, so-called foreign direct investment and development funding. So African governments who tend to think of themselves, who tend to think within the deficit economics, we do not have money for this, we do not have money for that, are then signing deals that do not pass. If they had, the process was democratic, there was consultation, uh, free and prior informed consent with the communities, such deals would not go through. As we have seen, I think, the uh, historic case in Madagascar where the government of Ravaro Manana had to be kicked out of business because in the 1.3 million hectare deal with Dehu had to be reversed uh, because it had been seen to have violated a lot of international law. Well, uh, very, very interesting. Is it because we live in a capitalistic society that we're seeing these outcomes, Elijah, whereby we're seeing these corporates really leading the way when it comes to this agenda on land issues, especially in Africa? Yeah, I would say so because uh, the African Union has a framework which comes out of the Maputo Declaration. We know it as a comprehensive Africa agricultural development program, which is in short term, called uh, CADEP. But we know that the countries that are signatories to what we call the CADEP compact have committed by themselves to commit at least 10% of their GDP 
to to agriculture of their budget, the ag- agriculture, so that at least agriculture contributes at least six percent annual growth to the GDP. But what we are seeing is a situation where most of the countries, as we talk now, most of the countries are injecting less than six percent. So that shows that there is a, there's no serious commitment on the part of of the government to invest in agriculture itself as a sector. That's actually a key driver of the economy. But now the same opportunity is being given to foreign corporations under the excuse of uh, FBI, you know, under what my colleague just talked about now, so that we have these people coming in and, and corporations coming in and even individuals coming in and taking advantage of this huge, huge tract of land that has been mostly been put under mm. trust land. So what you, what you have is a situation, what you have is a situation where by the government on its part is not actually committed to developing the sector. The smallholder farmers are struggling with the, with the traditional farming methods, yet we have an opportunity to, we have a big opportunity to modernize our agriculture to respond to the current demographic, uh, demographic demand, which is population growth and most of the people moving from the rural area, going into the urban area, and we are having less and less young people joining agriculture in the disciplines in terms of university training, tertiary institution training. So we have an aging population of farmers, but we have less young people interested in going into agriculture. So we have a really serious situation moving forward. Will foreigners come and, and feed us in our own land, or will, will we take the responsibility to invest in agriculture, to build capacities and competencies mm. to ensure that we sustain a level of agricultural production that responds to the current demands and needs well, and preferences in terms of food? Uh, food production. Well, I need to con- conclude this uh, conversation indeed, but I only have uh, three minutes left, so I'm going to give uh, uh, one minute to both uh, uh, Michael and uh, uh, Dr. Karimbiza. Uh, Dr. Karimbiza, moving forward, just in a minute, in terms of uh, one solution, one way that we can deal with this issue, what needs to be done, just in a few seconds? Just like the colleague who just spoken now, the best way to address this to advance the interest of smallholder agriculture, bring back young people onto the farms, mm. transfer farming skills, support all those people who hold land so as to avoid this argument that we have lots of land that is not being utilized. So without support for smallholder agriculture, mm. we will continue to depend on large-scale producers and external producers on our land. Well, Michael, your views as we wrap it up? Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, I mean, we need to stop and review all known land bills and compel our various governments to make a clear declaration on bills that are not public yet and the ones that are ongoing and put a full stop to that and then sit down around the school through an inclusive, transparent and fully participative process to plan and decide what we want to do with our land. And the, 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 the answers are not perfect because we have our smallholder farmers eager, ready, and dedicated to scale up through additional support, through additional technology, like Dr. Blessing was saying, um, to meet not only the food security needs of Africa, but we are in a position to feed the world. 
Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for your contribution to our program here on Channel Africa. Thank you to Dr. Blessing Karumbiza, the Senior Research Associate at the Durban University of Technology. I also want to thank Michael O'Brien Oyinka, the Executive Director of Greenpeace Africa. And lastly but not least, Elijah Enumbavi, who's the Director of Regional Development Africa. Thank you all for joining us here on Channel Africa. We really appreciate your contribution and your thoughts on this very important issue on the continent. Thank you very much. Great. That's how we wrap it up. A very important moment for uh, this particular conference. And it's the first one. And I think, hey, kudos to these guys for making sure that they're pushing this uh, particular conversation. And it's starting right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I'm sure that they will continue moving forward with that particular conference. But there we were making sure that you get uh, uh, information on what's happening there in terms of uh, making sure that you know what's on the agenda in that particular conference. It's titled The Con- Continental Conference on Land Grabs. What are your thoughts on land issues? SMS us on plus 27823-325-905. Let me say it a little bit slower for you. Plus 27823-325-905. It's time for us to move on and get our economics update. Wisani Matebula will do that for us. Good morning. The new head of a global integrated energy producer and provider, Total, will embark on a tour to meet uh, crucial contacts at oil-rich countries in the next few weeks and will forge ahead with coast casts in the face of the failing oil prices that squeeze third-quarter profits. Europe's second-largest oil company elevated former refining head Patrick Poyane to the CEO position following the sudden death of its charismatic CEO, Christopher de Marie earlier this month in a plane crash in Russia. Total is one of the top foreign investors there with its 27 billion dollar Yamal NLG project with Novatech but faces a cloud over its future since the all rich country's relations with the West worsened and triggered sanctions. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has opened Parliament with a warning that uh, locals who front for foreign firms trying to dodge indigenization laws face decisive action. Mugabe says it's depressing that some people have turned themselves into mere fronts of foreign investors. In 2007, Zimbabwe enacted an indigenization law forcing foreign-owned firms to hand over at least 51% of shareholding to local partners. Mugabe says the law, which followed controversial land seizures launched in 2000, was meant to reverse imbalances which resulted from colonial rule. In Namibia, the ballooning import bill has fueled the rampant import of unproductive luxury items like motor vehicles, threatening a fragile economic recovery and may hamper the country's ability to import necessities such as food. The governor of the Bank of Namibia, Ibumbushimi, says uh, the MPC decided to leave the repo rate unchanged at 6%, although the central bank will keep a close eye on credit, which is on an upward trend, now reaching 15.3%. He says that despite good credit, which helps businesses expand and create more employment, too much of the credit held in Namibia 
is a burden on households, particularly in the forms of overdrafts, installment credit and personal loans. And still about credit, the growth in credit demand from South Africa's private sector was lately changed at 8.74% year-on-year in September from 8.78% in the month of August. The broadly defined M3 measure of money supply, however, expanded at a faster rate of 7.85% year-on-year compared with August 6.41%. Economists surveyed by Reuters had expected year-on-year credit growth of 8.6% for September, while money supply was seen increasing by 6.5%. And bed loans at small South African banks have risen to 17.1% in the first half of this year. That's according to the Central Bank, just months after the collapse of unsecured lender African Bank. However, impaired advances at the five of the largest uh, banks in the country, Standard Bank, First Rent, Barclays Africa, NetBank and Investec, contracted by 2.1% to $7.5 billion. And a look at your financial indicators uh, this morning. The US dollar closing the morning at 10.91 South African rents, at 8.97 Botswana Pulis, and 6.32 Zambian Guaches. Also trading at 0.62 to the British pound and 0.79 against the euro. And the commodities, gold $1,230, platinum $1,263, a fine ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $86.25 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Time now for our sports news. Musibudi Makura is standing by. Good day, sports fans, and starting off with football news, Nigeria has been given until Friday to overturn a recent court ruling that voided its football elections or face a FIFA ban until May next year. In a letter sent to the Nigerian Football Federation on Tuesday, FIFA says their directive must be met by midday this coming Friday. FIFA wants the reinstatement of the NFF board that was elected on the 30th of September. If Nigeria failed to comply, they will be expelled from qualification to next year's Africa Cup of Nations tournament taking place in Morocco. The Super Eagles are the reigning African champions but are now facing the very real prospect of missing a chance to defend their title. Already this year, Nigeria have been banned twice for government interference and the NFF and FIFA warned the country in September and again in October that another incident would result in a lengthy ban. FIFA's action follows last week's ruling by the Jaws High Court, which announced last month's election of Amaju Binak as president of the Nigerian Football Federation. Justice Ambrose Ayagwala ruled that the elective Congress of the NFF should not be recognized as the Jaws High Court had put in place 11 days earlier an order that the elections should not be held. Meanwhile, former Super Eagles international defender Musi Ayajo says this is not a good image for the country's football. Everything that has to do with Nigeria, if you are in that position where some of the politicians are, everything still goes back to the, to the earlier question you asked, you know. The way everything runs in Nigeria is so difficult. 
And from my point of view, I believe, you know, it's so, it's so, it's so terrible. The way they do things, and they are, I believe they are not even thinking of, you know, the girls that they are going to represent the country because whatever comes out of it, Nigeria, they always take their own decision. When they make decisions, they make it late. You know, and the way things are now, don't be surprised, you know. Whatever FIFA decision might be, but I believe they will still overrule it in the sense that you have politicians in there. They will leave things to the last minute and probably press one or two buttons to still get things back on track. Back home, the South African Premier Soccer League will announce in due time when the Soweto Derby will take place. The Derby is one of the biggest matches on the African continent, which features two of the biggest clubs in South Africa, that is Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates. The Derby was postponed after the tragic death of Bafana Bafana and Orlando Pirates captain Senzo Meiwa over the weekend. Meiwa was shot dead in Foslaras, east of Johannesburg. The Premier Soccer League head of communications, Koni Mudzumi, has more details. The tickets, people must hold on to the tickets that were bought already, and then until we announce the date, that's when they can take back the tickets or they can uh, use them for the other date. But however, we will confirm the exact details of the ticket procedure as well as the new date for the Soweto Derby in, uh, in a very short space of time. Meanwhile, tributes continue to pour in for Senzo Meiwa. Isa Hayetu, the president of the Confederation of African Football, has expressed shock and dismay at the death of Orlando Pirates and South African national team goalkeeper Senzo Meiwa. Meiwa was shot dead in what was reported or what is reported to be a robbery in Fosloras, east of Johannesburg. In his letter to South African Football Association President Danny Jordan, Hayetu says words alone could not express the sadness caused by Senzo Meiwa's death. He further says losing such a talented player and a young gentleman is a tragedy for South African and African football. Meiwa will be laid to rest on Saturday in his hometown of Umlazi in the KwaZulu-Natal province. And finally, in boxing news, Boxing promoter Rodney Berman has hit the jackpot in Monte Carlo in putting together the pieces for one of boxing's most anticipated matchups between WBA and RBO middleweight champion Gerani Klokoven and popular British fighter Martin Murray. The fight, which will be staged on the 21st of February next year in conjunction with K2 Promotions at the world's glittering gambling mega in Monaco, shapes as probably the biggest international boxing context or rather contest staged by Berman's Golden Gloves organization since the sensational knockout of Lennox Lewis by Hashim Rama in South Africa. Kazakhstan-born Glokloven has won all his 31 bouts with 28 via the knockout route and 18 consecutive knockouts to his credit. Well, those are your sports news at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Contact us. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our programming. You can uh, do that by actually SMSing us on plus 27823325905. Or you can tweet us at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. That's on Twitter. I know there's a lot of stuff happening there on Twitter. But uh, let's end with the proverb of the day. It's a Yoruba proverb this one states that work is the medicine for poverty work is the medicine for poverty it's a bit depressing i wish we were on some island somewhere every day just dancing the night away but every day we have to wake up and work unfortunately and make the money so that we're not poor but uh, hey if you are lazing around in some street corner in the on the continent hey get up do something think of an idea just do something it's always good for us but that's how we wrap it up for today thank you for joining us until tomorrow god bless